welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at the Well. My name is BJ, one of the pastors here on staff. And I wanted to have a little game, a little exercise with us, mental exercise. In a moment, I'm going to say two words, okay? And I'm going to ask you what comes to mind when I say those two words. But in order for you to get in the right frame of mind for this, okay, you need to close your eyes and imagine it is April 2020, okay? And here's the two words, toilet paper, (laughs) toilet paper. Now, before the spring of 2020, toilet paper was exactly what it says, paper that you use when you're going to the washroom. I don't need to give you any more details than that. But during the spring of 2020, for a period of about, you know, three to five months, toilet paper meant something totally different. It meant panic. Panic. Like literally people were panic buying toilet paper. And if that was you, I I don't know what to say, but there were tons of people buying it. There were, there were literally armed robberies. Okay. In different parts of the world for toilet paper, there were fights in the aisles. There were people hoarding toilet paper, like getting as much as they could. You were going to the store for long lineups to buy stuff, going to empty shelves to find toilet paper that just was not there. Like it was a whole other level of, um, of crazy. In fact, there's one Australian couple who was trying to order toilet paper online. They accidentally ordered 2,000 rolls of toilet paper um, instead of, I guess they maybe thought 200 or they just didn't count how many. So literally they built that throne there out of the toilet paper because they had 2,000 rolls of it. Craziness. Um, now, and, and even actually, I remember going to order takeout from a restaurant and um, they, at the end of the menu item, there was, you could get toilet paper rolls for a dollar sent to your house uh, for delivery or takeout. And now many, many months later, no more lineups. The shelves are full. We have toilet paper in our bathrooms. But I think that toilet paper panic was a little bit of a microcosm of what it looks like in our lives when we panic. When we panic, it produces all kinds of stuff in us in reactions. Um, and, 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 and see this as you're listening to this, whether you see any of that in you. First of all, we can realize even from the toilet paper crisis, panic is contagious. Panic is contagious where people all of a sudden, you know, you talk to someone and you didn't know you needed to be thinking about something or planning on buying something or getting rid of something or jumping on this opportunity. But suddenly because you talk to someone and they're amped up about it and they're worried about it, they're anxious about it, they're keyed up about it, they're obsessed. You're like, oh yeah, maybe I should too. Panic is contagious. (laughs) Even when we don't realize we're panicking. Uh, in fact, they did, there were some Swiss and German re- researchers who did studies of people who hoarded toilet paper during the pandemic and, and trying to find out what were the psychological motivations for people doing that. And the people who hoarded the most toilet paper were the ones who most often identified themselves as, get this, conscientious, <laughs> right? They didn't see themselves as panicked hoarders. They said, hey, I'm just being conscientious. I'm just thinking about what am I going to need? I'm going to need this for the future. I am planning for the future. And so we can be spreading our panic contagion uh, even when we think we're just being conscientious. Well, I'm just thinking, and suddenly you talk to someone and you're like, oh, they're worried about that. Maybe I should be worried about that too. Uh, panic is contagious. But even more kind of damaging, 
Um, when we're panicking, we're, we are uh, susceptible to making bad decisions, right? Panic can lead to bad decisions sometimes. Oh, you got to jump on this opportunity or you got to get into the housing market or you got to buy Bitcoin or whatever it is, or don't miss out on this, or you have to get rid of this now, or I can't take this anymore. I got to change something, right? Under the pressure of panic, we can make decisions that later we find out we're hasty, we're foolish, we're not good at all. You know, I might never meet someone. There, there can be a panic. I have to jump on this opportunity. Panic not only spreads, but it can lead to bad decisions. And maybe even worse, panic can lead to selfishness, right? You have people who otherwise would be very polite in the grocery aisles, grabbing stuff out of other people's hands. Why? Because look, I'm going to try to be nice and I'm going to try to be kind and I'll try to think of you. But look, and when, when the chips are down, when it's panic under pressure, like I'm just going to look after me and mine, I'm going to think about myself, right? I'd like to help you, but I can't. It's urgent. I have to look after myself. Panic can lead us to selfishness. And not just being selfish towards others, panic can also lead us to blame and attack others, right? Because under pressure, under the pressure of panic, in times when we feel fearful or afraid or um, frustrated, anxious, angry, um, worried about the future, it is very easy when all of those feelings of frustration and anger come up to want to put them somewhere, right? We can't hold them. We're in the panic. We need to put them somewhere. We need to blame someone. We need to point the finger at someone, whether we think that that person is justified or not, or uh, that to be blamed, whether they seem the direct cause of our panic, or it just spills out over us and we begin to blame and go on the attack and sometimes even seek revenge in the panic. This is... Uh, an understandable thing. And, and, you know, our news cycle, 24-7 news cycle deals, you know, they, it deals in panic. I, I know this maybe sound a little bit cynical, but you understand that the people where we get most of our news sources from are not doing it on a volunteer basis. They're getting paid to publish things. They're selling advertisers your eyeballs, your attention, right? And nothing quite sells like panic some new thing you need to make sure you're aware of or protect yourself from, or some new crisis at home or abroad, or some new opportunity you have to make sure you jump on, or some new thing to be afraid of. It's why actually even when um, newspapers publish numbers, like say if they were publishing numbers, say if there was a global pandemic and they were publishing numbers about that pandemic, they would use words instead of, you know, have the exact number of 20, of 2,108, they would say over 2,000 or nearly 3,000, or as many as, or reaches new heights. What are they doing when they're saying those things? They are creating a sense of urgency. Sometimes that urgency is justifiable needs to be created. Other times it's just to actually create the sense of panic to make people look and read and come back again tomorrow to read it again. That's with the world out there, not to mention the stuff going on in our own lives that tempts us constantly to worry to anxiety, to fear, to frustration, to panic. It's understandable. But I think it's fair to say that our culture is immersed in this after coming out of where we've been and then all of the ways that news and new information continue to come out and the rapidly changing world, it is so easy for us to live in a state of panic. It's understandable, but as we said, it's dangerous because it spreads because it leads to bad decisions, because it makes us selfish people, and it can even turn us on the attack towards others, close to us or just randomly in our neighborhoods. And so we have to actually figure out how do we have presence 
in the panic. That's what we're talking about in this series called Presence that we're in. And this isn't simply about mindfulness. This is how do we bring the peace and the hope and the joy and the love and the calm of Jesus into the panic in our own lives and with the people we are interacting with every day. The thing is, it's not new, I think, first of all, just to realize. I came across this quote, maybe some of you have seen it, by C.S. Lewis, an author, um, writing 70, almost 75 years ago um, to his people in Britain um, when the atomic bomb had been created and was being used. And listen to what he says to them. This was 75 years ago. You could almost substitute um, you know, virus or pandemic for the words bomb, but listen to what he says. In one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. This isn't new. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, because that's what they thought was going to happen, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. <laughs> Somebody says, a microbe can do that. <laughs> but they need not dominate our minds. That's actually a good reminder. This isn't new. And yet, at the same time, maybe some of you are like, well, that's strange comfort, you know, like just telling me that the stuff I'm panicked about or worried about, like there's nothing new, there's always been stuff to panic about, okay. Um, and how to not let it dominate our minds. Easy to say, that's hard to do. The truth is, for people of faith, or even if you're coming here today and you're exploring faith, part of what we want God to do for us is to get rid of the things that are causing us panic, to come in and deal with the things that are causing us anxiety, to get rid of the situations that are persisting that are making us more and more worried about the future or about the present, to um, fix or provide or intervene in some way so that we don't have to panic anymore because our situation has changed. Understandably, this is what we want God to do. Perhaps this is why you're even in church today or you're exploring faith. You're like, I need to turn to God. I have no other options. I'm desperate. I'm panicked. I need help. And, you know, we find many accounts, actually, all the way through Scripture, but certainly in the biographies of Jesus and in the biographies of the first followers of Jesus, the book of Acts, where God did indeed do that. He intervened in a miraculous way to get rid of the situations that were causing or inducing panic. But interestingly, I think I can make this observation that the first followers of Jesus in the first century who began to follow him as Lord and Savior— they did not primarily have an understanding of God, of Jesus, as someone who was going to come in and eliminate the situations that were causing them panic. 
It's easy to think that because we see those, but there's actually far more situations where we see presence in the midst of panic and what happens. We're going to look at an account today from the book of Acts, the biography of the first followers of Jesus. And as this is read for you, it is an account, certainly if we can say this, of presence in the panic. And one aspect of it seems really obvious, but there are two other things that you have to pay close attention to, which I think are actually as or even more significant than the one very obvious thing that will actually practically help us to know how to be people of presence in the middle of panic. So let's listen together. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Whether you heard that scripture before or it's totally new, just a couple of side notes sort of before we dive in. One is, I mean, on one level, we just see the devastating effects of slavery in the first century, right? Here's this young girl who was uh, a slave of some households in the Roman Empire, or some people that would have been conquered by other people and became slaves through no choice of their own, obviously. And even worse for this girl, she has an evil spirit in her that gives her some special powers that people are exploiting <laughs> for their own gain. And so Paul actually casts this demon out of her, and it means she doesn't, she can't work for them anymore, which is a good thing. But ultimately, it was Jesus' followers who down the line, well down the line, upended the whole institution of slavery. But we just, you know, our hearts break and say, yeah, this was a part of the first century. And yet, dramatically, even in the early church, 
Um, you would have people who were slaves who were house church leaders and wealthy people as they came into the church gathering would often be washing the feet of the slaves. That's how radical the Jesus community was overturning this whole institution. So just a moment to say that. Secondly, it's humbling to me just how much suffering the first followers of Jesus sustained and were willing to accept so that one day, you know, 2,000 years later, you and I could know Jesus Christ personally, that we could hear the message, the good news of Jesus. Because these followers, Paul and Silas, certainly find themselves in a situation, if we could say, that would be panic-inducing. You know, they, they cast this demon out of this girl, which makes her, they basically means they lose business for this, uh, these, these people in this uh, Rome, part of the Roman Empire. And they bring them into the crowds. They charge them with a bunch of stuff. It says they were beaten with rods and then they were flogged, you know, with whips that would have torn away at their backs and stuff, thrown into prison, bleeding um, still from all of their wounds and kept overnight in this dark prison, locked up, um, and, and so this would definitely be a panic-inducing situation. Now, I, one thing we notice right away is there's this miraculous divine intervention, right? Um, it says that there was an earthquake and the prison doors flung open and their chains fell off, which, you know, people have written songs about this stuff and it's so inspiring and it gives us, we've used it as metaphors for our own situations of panic, that the prison door is open, the chains fall off. Sounds amazing. And it is, it's an incredible miracle. And yet there's something that happens right before it and something that happens right after it that is even more incredible that is part of what it means to have presence in the midst of panic. First of all, think about this. These guys had been beaten up and beaten and were still bleeding. And are, it says they were chained up and their feet were in the stocks, which was these sort of wood kind of bit, almost like giant wooden handcuffs for their uh, ankles that then often their hands would have been stretched over as well and tied to. So their, their backs would have been bent over as they were bleeding, right? After having been beaten severely both by a crowd and by a Roman guard and they're in prison. And look what it says. About midnight... Paul and Silas were singing and praying to God and everyone else was listening. They are beaten up in prison, waiting what is sure to be a worse fate the next day, possibly more um, punishment, possibly even death, because that's what happened to Jesus. <laughs> and they are singing, yes, I will lift you high. I choose to praise. They're singing. I mean, we just sang that in church. They are in prison singing it. I mean, the praying I understand. I'm thinking, the praying I'm thinking, they're like, God, please get us out of this. Please, God, you have to save us. The praying I understand, but the singing. Imagine this dark, um, hopeless place of suffering and death, this prison, and the voices of praise to God. They are singing and it says the other prisoners were listening, which means to me they were not spreading panic. They were spreading hope. They were spreading joy. They were spreading peace. This was the presence of Jesus with them in the middle of the panic. This is what they were spreading. Not panic, not fear, not anxiety, not anger, not frustration, not plotting revenge, but peace and joy and hope in the middle of the panic. Oh man, brothers and sisters, if we could get to that place, 
were in the middle of dark and hopeless places and experiences where many, many other people are feeling their hearts melt with fear and despair and worry and anxiety and panic. If we somehow, even though we are in it as well, could begin to sing, could, right? It's one thing to sing these songs, you know, like Waymaker, Miracle Worker, you know, Promise Keeper, or always, my God, you always come through. Yeah, when we're at church, I mean, when we're together and we sing those, man, I feel so, I do feel full of hope and joy and peace, but could I sing it in prison? You know, like if I'm in that place, I'm telling you, I'm not singing. I'm just praying, God, get me out of here. And here they have a song in their hearts that's spreading something else other than panic. Man, do we need that in our world. And then here's what happens, which tells me I don't think they were praying, God, get us out of this. Or if they were, suddenly their prayers changed because it says that the, there was an earthquake and the prison doors swing open and their chains fall off. But when the prison doors swing open and the chains fall off, they don't leave. <laughs> Did you catch that? I don't think they were praying, God, get us out of here. Because when the doors open, they don't leave. Or if they were praying that, suddenly in the moment they realize something else is going on. And this is what's so incredible. Instead of choosing to save their own lives, which they could have, which, you know, just walk out, save ourselves. They save someone else's life, right? Instead of letting selfishness overtake them in the panic, look after me, look after mine, what do I need? They see someone else whose life needs saving. So here's what happens. The jailer who was in charge of them would have probably lived in a house next to the jail. Um, he wouldn't have been in the jail possibly all night. He would have had other people there. But he would have lived near there. And he feel, hears this earthquake and he comes running to the jail. And probably first thing he would have seen was the doors wide open, which he assumes all the prisoners are gone. And so he takes out his sword to kill himself because as a Roman guard, as a Roman jailer, your, it was your life for the life of the prisoners. In other words, you lost them. Or something happened to them in your watch or they escaped. They, you were going to die because of it. It was your life on the line to, to keep those prisoners from escaping. And so when he saw they're gone, he's like, look, I'd rather not get tortured and killed, you know, by the Roman guard. I'm just going to do this to myself. And he takes out a sword to kill himself. And Paul and Silas, sitting there in the prison, say, stop. Don't do it. Not only were they not selfish and were actually thinking about someone else who needed to be saved, the someone else they decided to save was the very person responsible for their panic in the first place. Not only were they not being selfish, they were not letting their situation or their panic turn to bitterness and anger and revenge. Instead, they reach out with compassion to spare the life of the person who had put them there in the first place. Isn't that incredible? And in that moment, when they bring the presence into the panic, suddenly that jailer realizes he's the one who needs to be saved, right? It says he actually fell at the feet of Paul and Silas, trembling, saying to them, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> Think about this. He was the guy with the power. He was the guy with the keys to the door. He was the guy with the sword. He was the guy with the mighty Roman empire behind him. And suddenly in a moment, he's on his knees, trembling, saying to the prisoners, save me. <laughs> this is incredible presence in the midst of panic. 
It says that he actually realizes something miraculous is going on beyond just the doors going open, but what these men had chosen to do. And it says he takes them to his house and he cleaned their wounds. So we know up to that point, nobody had dressed their wounds. They were bleeding still. He cleaned them and bandaged them up, fed them a meal, and then gave them the floor to talk to him and his whole family about Jesus. Right? Because they knew that was the presence they had in them, was the presence of Jesus. That was the message they were declaring. That was the message of salvation and hope and peace, was the reality and person and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he not only cleans their wounds and gives them food, he says, go tell us what, what is unique about you. How on earth are you like this? And they tell the whole family about Jesus. The whole family becomes Jesus' followers. The whole family gets baptized that night. Incredible presence in the midst of panic. What spreads is the message of hope, not panic. <laughs> and then, wait for it, they let him take them back to jail and put them back in the prison and lock the doors. Now, I know that's not in the passage we read, but if you read on, it says that the magistrates who put them in there in the first place gave word to release them and came back to them the next morning while they were in prison to say, you can go now, <laughs> right? They had to go back there. If they didn't, the jailer would be killed because they were gone. And so they let him walk him, them back into prison and shut the door. That to me is the most miraculous part of the whole thing. Never mind the earthquake and the prison doors flying open. You could explain that by some other scientific thing if you really wanted to. If you said, oh, there's no such thing as God. How do you explain this? It's incredible. And if I can say this, as we have said from the beginning of this series, these men were not extraordinary men. The witness of the people around them was that they were ordinary people. But they had been with Jesus, and therefore, they carried with them an extraordinary presence. Ordinary people carrying around the extraordinary presence of Jesus into the place of panic, transforming it into a place of hope and peace and joy, where they're able to sing in the middle of the darkness. Were they able to give hope to other people who are suffering with them? Were they able to save even the ones who are their enemies? Friends, our world is desperate for the people of God to become people like this, to be people, ordinary people, dealing with our own situations of panic, and yet because of the extraordinary presence of Jesus in us, transforming those places into places of hope and joy and peace. And let me say this, we can be people like this. We can be. You know why I say that? Because Paul and Silas were inspired by Jesus to be able to do this. And here's what I don't mean by that word inspired. I don't mean that they saw or they knew the example of Jesus who was calm in the face of criticism and hardship, who on the cross was looking out for the other people who were being crucified with him and even forgiving his enemies. I don't mean they were inspired by his example and they were going to try to do what he did. What I mean is they were inspirited by his presence, right? 
When we say the people of God are inspired by Jesus, we don't mean, oh, he's this great example way down the road and you'll never quite be like him, but somehow try. No, we mean that the same spirit that was in Christ, the Holy Spirit now lives in us. We are inspirited by the Holy Spirit so that we can do things that otherwise by our ordinary selves would be impossible for us to do. These disciples were inspirited. They were filled with the presence and power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to be able to act like Jesus acted, to be able to speak like Jesus spoke, to be able to do the things that Christ did. Friends, that is what you and I are given through the Holy Spirit as well. We are able to bring extraordinary presence even through our ordinary lives in our desperate panic-inducing situations <laughs> to transform them into places of joy and hope. Hi church, good morning. Um, my name is John and um, I'm a member of Well. My family owns a small pharmacy in North York and I've been working there for the past 10 years as a pharmacist. Um, but I mean, I actually really grew up at that pharmacy. And so the staff that I work with are basically family. Um, they knew me when I was a little kid uh, up until now. And so uh, work has always been such a safe, place, a life-giving place that I've um, been able to go to, like a familiar place for me. Um, but, mo but recently, um, at the beginning of the year, uh, we experienced uh, something that we hadn't experienced before. So we experienced a robbery at the pharmacy, um, an armed robbery. Um, and that was a pretty traumatic event for myself and, and the staff uh, to go through. Um, long story short, uh, we, over the past, um, the following months, we experienced two more robberies. And so, um, the last one, which just happened a few weeks ago, um, was actually a pretty violent one, um, involving myself. And so I was grabbed, I was punched. And so it was actually a very dramatic, um, thing for myself to go through, um, and so that's kind of where things are right now. Um, uh, you know, this place, the pharmacy uh, or work where things were so familiar and the environment, the environment was so welcoming and safe is all of a sudden, you know, something that <laughs> there's a lot of fear there, um, a lot of jumpiness kind of thing, and um, a place that we just don't feel very comfortable in. Um, and so naturally, of course, like we reached out to people in our church to pray, like um, like our home group, um, the staff, the elders. Um, and one evening, Vijay asked if he could actually come over to our place, uh, Vijay and his wife, uh, to pray with us. And so we said, of course, yeah, please. So they came over, and, and the way they did a prayer uh, for us uh, was something I hadn't done before. Um, and I'd like to share a little bit of how that went, and hopefully it's an encouragement to you guys. Um, but basically, they, he asked me to simply picture Jesus um, in my pharmacy, um, in my place of work. And uh, not necessarily during the robbery, but um, just there. And so I did. Um, I closed my eyes, and I just pictured Jesus in the pharmacy. And I was instructed to just kind of interact with him, ask him what he's doing, ask him whatever questions I want note like what the setting was like and 
um, things like that. And I'll tell you one of the things I, I noticed first was um, to give you a bit of context, like the front of my pharmacy is, is like an aluminum frame with like glass and a main door to, to enter. Behind that glass, we have steel bars. Uh, they go from floor to ceiling. Uh, that's always been there. Um, but in my time during this prayer exercise, I noticed that actually there were no bars there. <laughs> so um, it was just clear glass and the sun was just beaming in the store. So um, when I walked in, it was before we had opened and I noticed Jesus was got a basket with a bunch of pill bottles and he was stocking the shelves. And so I walked up to him and I asked him, so like, you know, why are you stocking our shelves? And he's like, well, actually, John, these are my shelves. And so um, it was really cool. So I was able to actually see Jesus kind of working in a place where I work. Um, and that just acted as just a wave of peace over myself. In fact, like when I saw the bars were off of the front entrance, like that automatically made me um, really see this, the pharmacy even different than how I saw it before, you know, even more than a safe place, a place where people are welcome, uh, where there is no fear and where there's freedom. And so uh, I continued to converse with, with Jesus and um, we talked a little bit about like my purpose. Um, and I think one thing I took away from it was that there is something new that he's doing at our store, you know, that how the store is right now isn't at all, um, you know, the way it will be. Um, and that uh, Jesus has something to renew in terms of our purpose in the community. And so, um, yeah, it's still very fresh, um, kind of what we went through and we're still processing a lot of things. Um, but I just wanted to encourage you guys that, you know, I, I think if we were to take some time and open our eyes to um, the places that we have in our lives, the, the important places in our lives, uh, open our eyes to the fact that Jesus is there, you know? Um, I think the way we see our place um, will change. And so thanks for listening. Um, continue to pray for us, me and my staff. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me. Thanks, guys. Take care. And so here's what I want to do. I actually just want to take a moment for us to breathe in God's spirit, to actually be reminded of the fact that we are filled by this same spirit of God. And here's how we're going to do this. The band's just going to sing a song. You know, we they talked about these guys singing in the middle of panic, singing in the middle of a dark, hopeless place. Um, I've, I've asked the band if they would just sing for us or sing over us. They're going to sing a song called It Is Well. It's a song about having presence in the midst of panic. But as they sing over you, if you want to do this, you don't have to, but here's a couple of ways that you could try to receive this in more deeply in your own life. One, you may want to just close your eyes and open your hands um, during the song to just let the words sink in. And as you do, slow down your breathing as if you're breathing in God's spirit. Now, 
we don't physically breathe in God's spirit, but when we slow down our breathing and we remind ourselves physically of what is true spiritually, that God's spirit lives in us, that breathing actually reminds us, it's making our, our whole being realize we can be and are filled with the same presence of Jesus now. And so as you're listening to those words, you can just open your hands and breathe in God's spirit as you hear these words sung over you. Secondly, if you want to, and this may not be for everyone, maybe there's a place of panic in your mind, a a place of worry or anxiety or fear that's tempting you to panic. It it could be in a classroom, it could be in your home, it could be in a workplace, it could be somewhere else. Now, if that's going to make you even more anxious to even picture that, don't do it at all. But if you want to have a picture of that and have it be transformed, by God's spirit. You could just, as your eyes are closed, picture that place, picture yourself in it. Picture yourself singing. Picture yourself at peace. Picture yourself being able to see who else is in there with you who needs you to bring the presence of Jesus to them. If if that's helpful for you, you can do that as well while you're listening. And you could even sing along if you know the words or you just want to let those words kind of wash over you. But let's take a moment to stop and just breathe this in as the band sings for us. You know, it might be easy for us to read an account like that today and think, oh, yeah, that's those disciples. I mean, they were superheroes. But the, the, the history and the witness of the early church is they were ordinary people. And maybe you've actually, even as you think about it, had the experience where other people, other Jesus people in your life have actually brought peace and hope and joy in the middle of your panic, or you've watched them in the middle of theirs have a kind of presence and a hope and a stability in the middle of something that otherwise would be really panic-inducing for you. That are, those are the visible examples of the presence of Jesus showing up in our lives again still today. One really practical step you can take to do that is to read to be inspired. And now you know what that word inspired means, to be filled with the Spirit. This week in the daily reading, each day you're going to be able to read an account of of presence in the midst of panic from the Scriptures. And, And our hope is not just for you to give you information about that or, oh, that's a nice story about someone else, but to end each of those daily reading times in prayer to say, Spirit, fill me. You're the same Spirit that allowed them to do that. I have access to you. Fill me. I want to breathe the Spirit in every day so that the places we go to get transformed into places of joy and hope and peace, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us who are desperate for some kind of hope and presence in the midst of panic. You know, I was thinking this week that um, early on in the pandemic, we were not allowed to meet as churches for a period of time. We were shut down because church services were called super spreader events, right? Uh, One of the categories is super spreader. And so we did that, and that was the right thing to do for a period of time. But now I believe that the church, not necessarily the church service, but the church, the body, we need to be super spreaders of something other than panic. We need to be the kind of people that other people in the midst of panic because they were close contacts of us, now have an experience of peace, of joy, of hope, that we would be not spreading panic, but spreading something else, that the people around us would be so glad that they came in contact with us.